0: It's football season. Time for the Gridiron Breakdown. Your host, RJ. Jay. when was the last time 80,000 people showed up to see a kid doing chemistry experiment? Alan?
1: You play football like engineer played football.
0: Let's get to the breakdown. Welcome to the Gridiron Breakdown Show. I'm Jay, and alongside Alan, we're here to get you ready for the X's and O's of week four of college football. But first, Alan, we gotta talk about week three and you know we wondered were there going to be some weird things happen could it be a strange week and yes indeed we got a little bit of that in week three
1: yeah Jay I mean it was so strange it was the first time that Kansas and Kansas State had both won on the road against power five opponents since 2006 Jay, let me remind you Jay that we've had four presidential elections and Alabama's won five national championships since that last (laughs) happened
0: yeah, it's been a minute, to say the least. And then I got to watch Michigan State hold Arizona to barely, Arizona State to barely over 200 yards of offense and still find a way to lose. Yeah,
1: Arizona State has held all their opponents to seven points. Uh, they were aided by some poor officiating there at the
0: end, but uh, Herm Edwards and his boys found a way to gut out a big road win. That was a huge road win. Like the winning last year in Tempe on an upset, like, okay, maybe Sparty was overlooking, whatever. The, like, Michigan State knew what was coming and still couldn't muster any offense. It was amazing. After I sat here and espoused how they would be able to do that, they did none of it. Um, you know, well, they, they mustered up yards. They just couldn't get any points. Um, speaking of mustering up weird yards and points, um, what was that Iowa State gunner doing to his own punt returner at the end of the Iowa State-Iowa
1: game? Well, I told you strange things happened in Ames. In a game that ended almost six and a half or seven hours after it started due to weather delays. It was a strange game and a fitting ending. Uh, Iowa State couldn't quite get enough points to pull the upset. They tried, Jay, but uh, the black hole that is Ames uh, claims another victim.
0: It would be as if like Kevin Harvick or Kyle Busch or you insert your favorite NASCAR driver was leading on the last lap and decided, you know what? I'm just going to take this one into the wall myself and just putting it right in and just letting the other car go right on by. It was, it was amazing. Um, speaking of letting it go right on by, the Olay blocking is, is rampant across college football. Uh, I saw quite a bit of it this weekend myself. What has happened to tackle play in college football, Alan? I dare say there may not be a first-rounder in the bunch this year. You know, I'm not really sure what's happened to offensive line play. Um, It's very
1: lacking. There are a lot of offensive lines that um, I've seen turnstiles slow people down more than they've slowed down people. And, Jay, while we're talking about just absolute disappointments, Kentucky did maybe the most Kentucky thing ever. They were up twenty one to seven on Florida. Felipe Franks had gone out of the game injured. Oh no, they just let the Florida backup quarterback score nineteen unanswered points and lose in heartbreaking fashion to Florida once again. No two in a row for you, Kentucky.
0: Yeah, on a duck interception, too, Sawyer Smith. What happened, man? That was so weird. I mean, I, I was working the Charlotte game, got home to time to catch the fourth quarter of that game, but I've been keeping up with it. I was going, man, Felipe Franks is down. out of Kentucky man. I get two in a row here. And I got home in time to watch them blow the good chunk of that lead that they had. And every time, man, every time. But nothing in Heartbreakville can compare, Alan, to what I saw Pitt go through. And my, my shout-outs to Vinny and Matt over the end of the script podcast, the Pit podcast. Um, I lived that game with those guys <laughs> most of the time, at least with Matt. And only Narduzzi and Pit uh, with a chance to you know score a touchdown three feet away, decide, no, the 19-yard field goal is the way to go because, quote, you need two scores to win. Yeah, Pat Mar- Narduzzi really befuddled me on that.
1: I mean... You know, as, as my good buddy Herm Edwards say, you play to win the game. You win the game by scoring a touchdown, not by kicking a field goal. that you miss, by the way?
0: Yeah, doinked it. I, by the way, I don't know who had a worse post-game press conference, Pat Narduzzi or Cam Newton last Thursday night. It's close. It's very close. Medea and Narduzzi were very close, i tell you. Uh, so, yeah, and by the way, that wasn't the only thing that was weird last week. Our picks were in the trash can, man. All right? You somehow went seven and four out of all of that destruction to go twenty four and eight on the year. I went six and five. I took it on the chin, man. I'm down twenty to twelve, man. I thought I was going to be slick because I was getting close on a couple games early, and then I flipped on the the old score app there and I saw that Washington was up thirty five to nothing on Hawaii, and I said, "Well, this is what I get for believing," and uh, took it down. But Alan, I don't think anything comes close to what happened to you in the danger zone, man. Please, please explain to me what went down there.
1: I'm not really sure. David, Cutcliffe and the Duke Blue Devils, I guess they thought it was basketball season or something. Cause they went and laid the wood on middle Tennessee State.
0: I mean when I flipped on that game, I think it was 31 to nothing. And I'm like, boy, am I an idiot or what? I mean that that is the buzz in the tower of the danger zone. I think the the tower chief would like a word stop those jockeys to the flyby on my tower at over four hundred knots. I want somebody's
1: butt. I want it now. I'm it. I want some butts. Well, that'll just about end the flybys. Yeah, it's rough, you know. When. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. We're going to give it another try this week. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully, I can redeem
0: myself this week. You're yeah, still two and two in the danger zone picks. And by their very nature, the danger zones are long shots, anyways. So, you know, that's what you've become known for here on the great arm breakdown through the year. So that's really all I had for week three. But we did tease something, Alan, last week that we could talk about early season Heisman hopefuls. And I'm going to let you talk about all the Alabama quarterbacks that are currently Heisman hopefuls.
1: Well, I mean, according to Vegas, Jalen Hurts is the leader uh, right now, and all Jalen Hurts has done is destroy everything in front of him, set Oklahoma records, ba- breaking records. Looking pretty darn good while he does it, Jay. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I was a little hesitant to think that, oh, well, he's just going to slip right into that Lincoln-Riley offense, and they're going to win another Heisman Trophy. But now it appears that they may win another Heisman Trophy.
0: Dude, he is doing it on the ground. He's doing it through the air. He's doing it so good. They pull him out in the second half, Alan, which has to be a little bit of PTSD for him. But I mean, really, the dude has has totally lived up to expectations. And also, as we've talked about, Lincoln Riley is the offensive mind in college football right now. The things he does with play design are just fun to watch. And Oklahoma is putting it on people. And they're about to get into conference play. You know they they did go out and destroy UCLA in a game where I think they had three times as many fans as UCLA did in the stands, which is a sad day for the Rose Bowl, let me tell you. Uh, but you know nothing's going to change about that because if you have seen Chips buyout, it makes Gus's buyout look small. small. So that's happening. And then Oklahoma now is getting ready to hit in the conference play. They got a lot of teams to play. They got they got a Kansas State coming up in a, in a little bit. That's going to be a tough game because they they pulled a big win knocking off Mississippi State last week. Jalen Hurts looks awesome, no doubt. I agree there. We'll come to the next Alabama quarterback in a bit. But i got to hold up a little bit of a banner for my man, Jonathan Taylor, at Wisconsin. He is tearing people up on the ground, Alan. This dude, every time he touches the ball, incredibly good things happen. And all he does is just find a way to continually churn out yards, doesn't matter who the opponent is. Yeah, I
1: mean, Jonathan Taylor and Wisconsin have looked darn good, pretty much obliterating everybody in their path so far. Uh, he, he gets to step up a tier in competition this week. So it'll be interesting to see if he, he continues the streak that he's on on uh, Saturday. And I know we're going to talk about that game in a little bit.
0: Oh, yeah, we're definitely getting into that one. And, I mean, look, at this point, Wisconsin hasn't given up any points. So we're going to get into that game in a bit. But I know there's one other guy we've got to talk about on the Heisman hopefuls. Lay it out for your favorite Samoan. Well, Tua Tagovailoa um, became the first Alabama quarterback to
1: throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns in the game. J.J., Tua has become the king of the checkdown. I went back and watched the tape, and on Saturday his longest pass was 27 yards in the air. Now, he had an 81-yard pass, but Tua has bought into the idea of checking it down, getting into those receivers and letting them do what they do and that's made that passing attack even more deadly. He has 12 touchdowns on the season and over 1,000 yards, and he is just obliterating defenses, much like he was last year.
0: Yeah, you know, again, stays healthy on a track like that, 12 TDs right now, no picks. Uh, and like you said, he's got three guys that legit, every time they touch it, can take it to the house, in Ruggs, Waddle, and Judy. And Devontae Smith is no slouch, by the way. He's the deep threat. Um, to, in all that, and now they let Najee Harris catch the ball, and that should not be fair, um, because he did bad things to those poor South Carolina players, and Will Muschamp yelled at them for it, and there was nothing they could do. What are they supposed to do? Fight the Matrix? I mean, that, that was not going to go well for them at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, he had two impressive touchdown passes, and uh, one of them that was just an incredible run after the catch. Um, so, they're definitely playing good football. You know, Jay, we, we forgot to mention this earlier, so I'm going to bring this up. Um, if anybody would like to help uh, the poor Florida State fan base, there is a young man who's opened a lemonade stand who is taking is selling lemonade to save up the $17 million for Willie Taggart's buyout. His mm-hmm. grandfather said he would match whatever he earns and send it off to the Florida State Booster Club. So all you FSU fans out there, we need to go buy you some lemonade because uh, the young man said he's tired of watching his team lose and tired of getting made fun of at school when he's thinking of wearing orange.
0: Wow. Um, you know, I can't blame the dude um, the way it's going, but uh, I'll tell you uh, the the thing about it is, and here's the reality. Willie's really probably going to let go a couple of assistants before he lets go of you know himself or he gets let go of. I, I don't know if they can bottom out completely this year. Florida State is maddening because they've got so much talent. Like Cam Akers is a legit NFL talent running back, and he is totally wasted in that backfield and in that offense. It it blows my mind how that team can absolutely not finish anything. Like, I mean, if you think Stephen King is bad at finishing books, watch Florida State play a football game. They can't finish anything. Yeah, it's been pretty maddening. Uh, They're very lucky not to be
1: 0 3. The sad thing is they probably should have won all three games they played in. Um, But it's tough times. Now, that did get me thinking, Jay. You might want to get with the power to be at Auburn and see if you can do some sort of fundraiser with Waffle House where, like, all their profits for a day goes to the buyout. You may be able to get some folks to buy in on that.
0: I, I think if uh, things continue to go south at Auburn, I won't even have to try to do that. But uh, we'll see how that goes as we get closer to it. Well, Alan, I think that's enough on week three. And, and you know, what else is going on out there? Let's get into week four because, man, we got four featured games this week. And I'm really looking forward to hearing a little bit about this next one. Notre Dame coming down south where it's only going to be 900,000 degrees to play Georgia in Athens. Break this one down for us. Tell us how this one's going to go. Well,
1: you know, Jay, this is the return trip from Georgia going to South Bend uh, two years ago, which was really Jake Fromm's coming out party. Um, You know, there's something special about night games in the SEC. Um, You can expect it to be filled with excitement, drama, and a boatload of deep south humidity to to welcome the Irish into Athens. Uh, UGA has looked almost flawless against three overmatched opponents. The offensive line is one of the best in the country. UGA has a very balanced attack with Jake Fromm sitting there distributing the ball. And they have a boatload of talent in that backfield, led by DeAndre Swift. Their receivers, you know, that was the question mark. Um, all uh, freshman sensation George Pickett has done as, uh showed you how good he was and why he had those five stars. Ian Books looked average so far in the air. He's only completing 60% of his passes. He's getting some nice some nice sustained ability on the ground. And, Jay, you know, this game really comes down to to one stat. You know, Georgia is very talented on both sides of the ball. They're a little young on defense, maybe not quite as good as they have been the past couple of years. But Notre Dame is giving up 230 yards on the ground each game. That's a bad stat when you're playing a really good offensive line and a super fast running back. Um, You know... The problem I have is i am trying to find a way for Notre Dame to win this game, and I'm just not seeing it. Outside of Ian Book having the game of his life, I don't expect that defense to fix all its problems uh, in one week. It's going to be on the road. It's a hostile environment. It's going to be humid. Georgia's the more talented team. Uh, I think Notre Dame might m- might throw a few punches early, Jay, but I think Notre Dame will eventually – give, UGA will break it wide open, and i pick Georgia to win 42-17. to
0: You know, man, the thing for me in this one that I just can't get around is how is Notre Dame going to stop that Georgia run game? And because I don't think they can, because they they didn't do it against Louisville, and Georgia's run game is a lot better than theirs, and a lot more seasoned, it's going to open up things for Fromm and those young receivers that he's just been targeting all over the place. I think he's going to pick them apart in the second half. I really think you're going to see Georgia do to Notre Dame what LSU almost did to Texas. I think there'll be a little bit of back and forth, man, but I'm with you. I think Georgia starts pulling away in the first half, and they keep pulling away, and they just cruise on. Notre Dame's a talented team, but they are not in the same league as Georgia, and especially when you factor in, again, how hot and humid it's going to be, how loud that crowd's going to be. I like Georgia big here, man. I really do. I like them 45 to 20. I think they blow them completely out. And we start talking about Georgia as a legit playoff action nationally after this next week. That's going to be a fun game. Well, next one's up on me. and We go north where it's not going to be nearly as hot. But, buddy, it's going to be contested. The Michigan Wolverines travel up to Camp Randall to take on Wisconsin. And the Badgers both had a week off last week. And let's face it, man, Michigan has just stumbled out of the gate. This year, they have not played good all season long. I mean, they you know they messed around with MTSU and pulled away in the second half. They had to have double overtime and make Army try to throw the football to beat them. You know, two weeks ago, the offense has stammered around. They're barely getting anything going on the ground. They can't get anything consistent going through the air. Defensively, Michigan is really good. And when I say this, like it's going to sound weird, but they are incredibly balanced as a defense. Usually, when you see a team that limits a team running the ball, they get thrown on a lot, and like the stats get you know mounted up in that way. Not so with Michigan. They give about 138 yards on the ground and 138 through the air. That's the kind of their averages right now. So you can balance on them, but you can't get a ton of yards, and you don't get a lot of points on them. Both of their opponents have scored 21. Um, which is not great, but it's also not the end of the world either because MTSU's got a high-flying offense, and Army can score, especially considering Michigan gave them the ball so many times. And if Michigan is going to have any success in Wisconsin, first things first, no turnovers, cannot turn the ball over in this game in any circumstances, giving a team like Wisconsin extra possessions is a problem. Because all Wisconsin does is control the clock and eat you alive with it. They've outscored their opponents already this season, 110 to nothing. Now, granted, they beat USF 49 to nothing, and they beat Central Michigan 61 to nothing. But those are not slouch teams, at least not coached by slouch coaches. And all Wisconsin's done is turn Jonathan Taylor loose and made sure that they had plenty of time. And here's the other thing, Alan. Wisconsin's averaging 300 passing yards a game. When's the last time you ever even heard of anything like that for Wisconsin? They don't do that, but Jack Cone is starting to pick up his consistency. He's starting to throw the ball down the field, and again, when you got a back like Jonathan Taylor, who can do so much with it, when you throw it to him out of the backfield and you hand it to him enough, it opens up the play action. For Michigan to have success against Wisconsin, they're going to have to do it by exploiting the corners and the DBs. Wisconsin's DBs are not that great, honestly, uh, even though they're they're totally shutting people down. Um, nobody's really been able to throw on them because neither of the teams they played are good throwing teams at this point. But if you're going to get after them, you got to get guys like Donovan Peoples-Jones, who's coming back from Michigan, and get him going across the middle of the field. Get him in open space. That's how Michigan's going to be able to do some damage on Wisconsin, if they're going to be able to at all. But Here's the thing, Alan. I don't think they're going to be able to at all. Now, I don't think Wisconsin can shut them out because it's very hard to do that three games in a row, and it's really hard to do that against a conference opponent. Michigan will get some points, but they're not going to get nearly enough. Wisconsin's going to keep pounding that ball. They're going to open up that play-action pass game. They're going to keep a lead and be able to sit on it in the second half. I like Wisconsin here 28-14, to Allen. I think they win it running away, and they put Michigan down. Well,
1: you know, Jay, uh, Taylor has 100 yards in the two games he's played against Michigan. I expect that will continue. I expect this game will be a grind on both sides. Wisconsin has shown me they have more offense. We're still waiting on Michigan to find their offense
0: for the last three years. I like your pick. I'll take Wisconsin 24-13. to 13. All right. All right. So we both have Wisconsin winning this one pretty handily. So next up on the docket, Man, this one's going to be fun. It looked like a lot more fun last week, but it still could be fun. Utah taking that big conference record on the road to take on Southern California Trojans who eh, didn't do so well against BYU last week. Yeah, you know, they struggled and
1: ended up losing to a very solid BYU team who's having a heck of a season already. Jay, it appears that Utah is the only Pac-12 hope for the playoff. Uh, Utah will look to bully USC on both sides of the line. Utah's been getting great quarterback play from Tyler Huntley. He's completing almost 80% of his passes with four touchdowns and and no interceptions. But let's be honest, Utah's bread is buttered by Zach Moss in that offensive line. Moss is averaging six and a half yards a carry. He's got four touchdowns to go along with that. And while they don't have a great set of receivers, uh, this offense, the, the way they run things, it can give USC a little bit of trouble. The Utah defense has been great, uh, holding teams to only 239 yards and nine and a half points. Uh, Utah is what we thought they would be. They're going to play defense. They're going to ground and pound, and they're going to just strangle you like a python. On the other side, USC, um, Kendo Kendo Slovis, they'll need to have a great game and limit his turnovers for USC to really have a chance. He's thrown four picks already. And I don't know that his line is going to be able to protect him all night. He's going to have to hold on to the ball, make smart plays, and distribute it. Uh, The USC defense really hasn't shown me very much that they're able to really limit anybody. They're giving up a lot of yards, giving up a fair number of points. So USC is really going to need the perfect storm for this game, Jay. Here's the problem with that. The game's a 6 p.m. local kick on Friday night in L.A. I don't expect an overly hostile or loud crowd because they're all going to be stuck in traffic. The Utes are better at the point of attack on offense and defense. I look for a low-scoring game like Utah to win 19-10.
0: All right. See, like Utah in a defensive struggle, I can't disagree with anything you said there, man. I do think USC is going to try to push the ball down the field on them. Uh, Keaton Slovis looked like a freshman last week, you know, before he didn't. This week, maybe he gets it corked up a little bit more. Here's the thing for me, is can USC handle the pounding that Utah's going to give them up front? Because those front lines are going to get beat and going to get beat. And for me, that's the reason I can't pick USC in the upset here. I really want to, because something tells me they they could go out and get this one. But I just don't think they've got the hosses up front to handle it right now. I'm going to pick Utah similarly close, but I'm going a little lower on the score. I think Utah wins this one 14-9. I think it's a very low-scoring game in Southern Cal and USC goes down to utah so for our last featured game of the week it's time to go to the sec west man and auburn number eight in the country heading out to take on texas a&m who's number 17 a&m of course you know took on clemson took that one on the chin but they won their other two games auburn finally found a little bit of a run game last week i I should say they ran for 400 something yards against you know a lower level mac team in kent state what does that mean going into this game Well, here's the thing you got to know auburn's Freshman quarterback Bo Nix making his first true road start. He's only hitting at about 52% of his passes, and allen that's because he went 13 of 17 last week. Uh, and nothing against the dude. He's got talent for days, but he's just not entirely accurate. He's got four touchdowns and two picks. Both of those picks, though, were in the first game, so he hasn't thrown one since then. He's learned to throw it away. But you remember the Washington quarterback Jake Locker? That's who his game reminds me of a lot right now. He's just throwing it away and getting rid of it, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of complexity in there. For Auburn to be able to win this, they're going to have to run the football, and that's going to be Jatarvius, Booby Whitlow, and that Auburn offensive line are going to have to establish something early. And that's going to be a problem because, you know, Clemson beat Texas A&M, but they didn't really run on them real well. And that's kind of Clemson's bread and butter, even though they got Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. They really like to run the football, and they couldn't do it consistently against them, even though they lost. In that game, A&M held them down running the ball. and Right now, A&M's only giving up about 83 yards rushing a game. That Auburn offensive line versus the Texas A&M defensive line is going to be a matchup to watch for sure. But it's not the key one. The key one is the flip side of that. Can Texas A&M's offensive line, it's only producing about 174 yards on the ground a game right now, deal with that front from Auburn? That front from Auburn is ferocious, and they will get after you in so many ways. And Kevin Steele will blitz those linebackers at you from so many different directions. Kellen Mond is going to have to play clean, and they're going to have to give him clean pockets or ways to roll out so he doesn't you know, feel the pressure and he can get balls to his playmakers on the outside, because that's the only way AM can win this game. And for me, looking at this one, I think Auburn's problems running the football and establishing the run, even though they're so good on defense, I think those offensive problems are enough for me to give Texas A&M the home field advantage here in this one and for them to be able to pull away. But I don't know that we're going to get a ton of points in this game. I think you're going to see teams make turnovers, and you may see a special teams mistake. And we haven't talked about it a lot, but Auburn is terrible. They are dead last in punt coverage right now. That is going to catch them in the game. That's something like this. That that kind of mistake is something Texas A&M can take advantage of. I like the Aggies here 28 to 24 to take the home win against Auburn in this game.
1: Yeah, Jay, I really can't disagree with what you've said. I mean, that, that A&M offensive line against that great Auburn defensive front is the key. Um, just from personal experience, having been to Kyle Field, it's one of the loudest places I've ever been. You can't hear yourself think. Um, I think that with Nix's struggle with accuracy, uh, I think that could be a problem. A big road start, his first road test. I think he makes a few mistakes. Uh, I like A&M to win this game 24-17.
0: Uh, All right, so we both like Texas A&M. You like them by a touchdown, I like him by four here. So those are our featured games for the week. Just to recap real quick, we both like Georgia over Notre Dame. We both like Utah close over USC. We both like Wisconsin to take care of Michigan. And we both like Texas A&M to take out Auburn. So, before we get into the lightning round, though, because the Tower Chief has demanded, you got to do the Danger Zone a little bit earlier in the show, Alan. So, what's this week's Danger Zone?
1: Hey, I got a juicy one for you this week. I'm going to take you down to Austin, Texas, where the Oklahoma State Cowboys come to town. I know what you're thinking. It's Mike Gundy. He's a man. I think he's now 52. Um, here, here's the thing. Oklahoma State has looked fantastic on offense. Uh, t- Texas, while they've looked great on offense, Ellinger is playing phenomenal with 11 touchdowns, no interceptions. Their defense has been susceptible, as we saw Joe Burrow put up you know video game numbers. Here's the thing. Spencer Sanders throws the ball effectively. Talon Wallace is averaging 26 yards a catch with six touchdowns. But it all comes down to, you're going to love this name, Chubba Hubbard, the starting running back for the Cowboys' average, 7.9 yards per carry on 66 carries. I love the Cowboys in a Big 12 shootout, 45-42. to 42.
0: All right, so you've got Oklahoma State taking out Texas in the danger zone pick. I like it. I like it. That's a fun one, and I'll definitely be keeping eyes on that one as the weekend comes on. So it's time to get into the lightning round now, Alan. A lot of games to go through here. The first one is an SEC East rivalry that just goes back to some pure hate between two teams that wear different shades of orange. Tennessee's taking on Florida.
1: Yeah, Jay, I I think this game is going to be ugly. I'm not real sure what to expect from Tennessee. They finally got their first one of the year. Felipe Franks is probably out for Florida, um, but Florida looks looked decent in that comeback against Kentucky. Um, I'll take Florida to win this in a pretty non-impressive game, 16 to 10.
0: Yeah, I think Florida wins this one, too, but it won't be very pretty. I like them 20-6 to six in this one. I think Tennessee can muster much against that defensive line. Washington travels to take on BYU. I think BYU's just playing everybody now.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're playing a Pac-12 on an SEC schedule. You know, BYU's shown a lot of grit and some late comeback victories, having to beat Tennessee in overtime. And, Jay, I would love to say the Cougs are going to win this game. I hope they do. Give me Jacob Eason, give me Washington 28
0: to 20. Yeah, I agree with you. I like Washington in this one. I think they just got too many horses, too much uh stuff to to run against the BYU can't chase around. But it'll be close. I like Washington in this one twenty-three to twenty. Louisville takes on Florida State in I guess we call it lemonade game one now. Yeah, I think
1: so. Um FSU gave up twenty-one fourth-quarter coins in Charlottesville to drop to one and two. Jay, they're giving up almost 500 yards per game on defense. They're going to one and three. Give me Louisville, 38-20.
0: to And Javon Pass may actually complete a pass. (laughs) That's the problem here. I don't think Louisville can throw the ball well enough. I think Florida State rallies around themselves as a team. They gut out a win. I like Florida State here to get this one ugly, but they get it done 21-20 against Louisville this week. Cal coming all the way out from Berkeley to Oxford, Mississippi, in what I would call the culture shock bowl. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be an early kick. It's an
1: 11 a.m. kick, which is a 9 a.m. kick for Cal, basically. And it's going to be hotter than Satan's armpit in Oxford on Saturday. That stadium is down in a hole, and it is absolutely miserable. Cal plays great defense. I'm not real sure what Ole Miss does well at this point. But due to the time, the heat, the humidity and against my better judgment I'm taking all miss to win 20 to 17 And apparently there's going to be a fish concert afterwards. You may need to clear the area (laughs) because I'm not sure
0: the air is safe to breathe. (laughs) It's never safe to breathe in Oxford anyway, and now you're bringing fish into it. Look, here's the thing Ole Miss does. They play good defense, but they don't play really good offense. Cal does really good defense. They got better coaching. I think they've got an identity on offense. Ole Miss is still trying to find theirs. I'll take Cal, the Bears, to come in and get the win. I don't care how hot it is. I like Cal on this one, 20-14. All right, you uh, are ready for this one. We're going to go back. Back to the west coast now and have a little fun with this remember when this game used to matter oregon and stanford are playing this week and it could not matter less
1: well jay stanford got absolutely obliterated last week in central florida that game was ugly it was over early stanford's given up 415 yards per game
0: herbert feasts this week stanford 30 i mean oregon 38 stanford 17 Yeah, I think Justin Herbert's going to pad those Heisman stats. We didn't really talk about him in our opening Heisman segment, but he's certainly having that kind of a season. I I cannot pick against him in this one. I'm going to take Oregon as well. So real quick, two more games. Kentucky's taking on Mississippi State this weekend in a big SEC matchup. Well,
1: talk about two teams that blew it at home last week. Uh, Half the state fans didn't even show up because it was so hot in Starkville. Jay, I don't trust either team. But I'm gonna take the home team with Callan Hill running the ball. I take state twenty to thirteen.
0: Yeah, I like state here as well. Just the home team, a little bit more familiar surroundings. Kentucky's still trying to find themselves. Give me Mississippi State 24 to 17. Last one, Pac-12 action on Washington State. Welcomes in Chip Kelly and UCLA. It's offensive mastermind versus offensive mastermind. Well, Jay,
1: nobody in their right mind would pick UCLA against a pee-wee team right now. Give me Mike Leach
0: and company at home in Pullman, 38-13. to
1: 13.
0: Oh, I think it's worse than that, man. I think Washington State puts the hammer down and never lets up. I like them 48-7 to 7 in this one. UCLA is a dumpster fire, but guess what? It ain't going to change. It's going to be that way for a while because it's going to take a while for Chip to do whatever he's going to do, and it ain't recruit. So we'll see how it works out next week, Alan. Week four promises to be really fun, and week five is shaping up to have some big games as well. Of course, folks can follow it all here on the Gridiron Breakdown show. You can go to anchor.fm slash gridironbreakdown to find all the places you can download the podcast. Leave us a positive review. It helps other people find the show and share it on your social media. And if you're into social media, find us on Facebook. Search for The Gridiron Breakdown. That's the show's page. You can participate in discussions with the hosts as well as um, the other fans of the show. We appreciate the support. So until next time, for Alan, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to The Gridiron Breakdown. Thank you for listening to The Gridiron Breakdown. The Gridiron Breakdown theme is sports time tonight. By Phil Gerard, Reed Hayes, and Scott P. Share. Tune in next week for more analysis and opinion from our hosts. I'm saying by Scared Out there. I'm saying fear. Now y'all scared to ask another question. <laughs>